before we get started into the scripture part, the, what we've been looking at for the, uh, the last four weeks is a, a sermon series about risky business and how uh, being a Christian, being a follower of Christ is, we could consider risky business in the way that to be a follower means you have to care. You have to care about people. You have to care about the, the social aspect of this world. Um, to be a Christian is something to where we you know, love thy neighbor. And we actually have to try our best and work towards loving our neighbor. To feed the hungry. To help those who are in need. I mean, that's part of what a Christian does. We don't simply say... Hey, I believe in Jesus. We don't simply say, hey, I am a Christian, but what do we do? And, and, that's, and the thing about that, though, is when we step out of our shell and start to have to do things, there's a risk involved. Now, what I don't want this to be, and what I've hopefully tried to say is, I'm not talking about the type of religious persecution, say, some missionaries go through to where they go into a country and they are in a place to where their life is in jeopardy for stating their beliefs. That's a whole other conversation to have. What I'm talking about is what you and I on a daily basis go through, is what many of us have to go through in the way to where when we have to start to speak out and have conversations, hard conversations, not exactly about faith or about religion, but just when we have to reach out and say something to, to help someone, when we have to have a hard conversation with somebody about maybe the way that they're acting, or a hard conversation in a relationship, um, we have to kind of step out and do. But then it comes to, to where, again, um, you know, Veronica is a great example of didn't really know what she wanted to do, then all of a sudden she has to step out and she's going to take on this new ministry, this new ministry of this, this. And, you know, if you think you could sit there, and Veronica has sat there and thought of all the many things that could go wrong. It's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to think, how in the world? And, you know, we have the same, too, when we're going, getting ready to go on a trip to build a house this week. And you could sit there and think of, oh, my gosh, how much is it and how could go wrong? And, you know, how sore am I going to be um, on Monday and Tuesday? And, and when we went last time, it was like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We were a little sore afterwards. It was a, but the, the risk involved when we put ourselves out there is what we're talking about. And what, what all we really have to do in Scripture is, is look and look at the life of Jesus. And really, from the moment that Jesus, uh, you know, when he was 12, 13 years old, and he went into the, the temple and started teaching, I mean, he really stepped out. The moment he put himself on display, the moment he started showing that he has a special wisdom about him, when he started talking about Scripture and the, the wisdom and knowledge that he had, he stepped out. And he took a big big risk. And so in these last weeks, we've kind of followed this as, as, we've, as we have seen that Jesus takes these, not by purposely going out and, and making things happen, but, purposely, but him going out and just trying to proclaim what he's proclaiming. Talking about love and forgiveness. Talking about that there's no more that should there be social classes, that there should be, that we all should be loved. We're all welcome at the table of Christ. And by doing that, Jesus puts himself at risk because he's playing against the powers that be. I mean, when you go in and say that 
I am the son of, you know, and, and when you go in and start to say that, teach something new and different, people get their toes stepped on. So now you have the, the religious leaders who are getting their toes stepped on because Jesus is teaching things that are different than what they teach. You have the Roman Empire who sees someone, someone else is coming in trying to raise a riot or trying to do this and we have to squash that so we can keep them under, under tow. And so Jesus, just by going out and eating with those people, who the tax collectors, eating with the people who others see as wrong and bad, being a part of conversations and, and doing things on the Sabbath or whatever he may do, he is putting himself at risk. So today we kind of move into Mark 6 and we're paraphrasing chapters from chapter 6, 1 through 29 and we're talking about how the risk of how, what about the people who Jesus grew up with? What about the risk of his family and those people that know him? Remember, Jesus only went within about a 30 mile um, circumference around. There wasn't, he didn't go hundreds and hundreds of miles out. He, he only lived, I mean, his ministry was basically from the, what, the age of 12, 13 when he started in the temple and he died somewhere around the age of 33, 32, somewhere in there. So we're talking about this very 15-ish year time frame that Jesus was doing ministry. And a side note, isn't that amazing that this, this man was able to come and have such a ministry that 2,000 years later, here we are. I mean, that's incredible to, to really show faith and to really just amazes me of the life that Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus the man lived and what we have learned from. So what we're here looking at here from Mark, and, and let me read to you. It says, Jesus left that place and came to his hometown. His disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were surprised. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Jesus said to them, prophets are honored everywhere, except in their own hometowns, among their relatives, and in their own households. What we're looking at basically is being unpopular. Being unpopular. How many of us, if we went to our hometowns, or maybe this is your hometown, and all of a sudden you started speaking out, and all of a sudden you kind of got to, kind of came into the light, what would people think and say? I still have people in my hometown who are like, is he really a minister? Seriously? Is that really? And so, and it's, it's, that is the thing that we have. And then you kind of have to go back and build credibility. You have to show people there's different parts of us and different sides of us. And in our families, if, if all of a sudden you wanted to change tradition, change a custom, you um, wanted to do something, we have to have those hard discussions. And you may become the unpopular person. How do we deal with that? How do we work through that? What has Jesus taught us about being unpopular? How is it sometimes some people can think so highly of us, but then you have some others who are like completely disagree, would, would trip you up in a heartbeat if they could. 
And that's the struggle that I think part of us, when we put ourselves out there, and again, that doesn't mean doing something big in front of all the, all the, everyone to see, but that's within our own families, our own relationships, you know, with our spouses or, or with our children, whoever it may be. If we make a decision, sometimes we're going to be unpopular. And how do we handle that? And what is it that makes us make that decision? What are we going to use? What are we going to use to, to, to aid us in that? And that's the part that's hard. It's because all of us want to be seen as good, as awesome. All of us want people to see the beauty in us. We don't want enemies. We don't want people looking down upon us. We want people to see that there's something special and good about each of us. But that is hard. That is hard. I want to tell you a story if you've never, hopefully a lot of you have heard of this. I don't know if a lot of you, in 1968 at the Olympics, in the 200 meter uh, sprint, there were three, um, well, in the, in the race, what had happened was the two Americans who, um, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, Tommy Smith and John, John Carlos, they were the, the kind of the favored, the, the power horses. These two guys, Americans, were going to win. And so the, the, the race happened. They all went up. They went up to the podium. And these two gentlemen um, were, were in the depths of civil rights. I mean, this is, this is, this is worldwide <laughs> is, is just the chaos and the destruction of racism that is going on in not just America, but everywhere. They decided to take a stand and that they were going to basically really come to the forefront of the Olympic stage of the world, talk about and show how horrific racism is. And both of these men had grew up in racism. Both of them still to this day experience racism, but they wanted to make a stand. They planned this, they executed it, they, they had everything, they, they, everything that they wore, having no shoes on, raising their hands for, for a, everything was, had a purpose and a point to it. And they knew that they would be rejected by some, they knew that they would have to pay a penalty for this, they knew all of this coming into it. But if no doubt that these two amazing gentlemen also had grown up and had seen that and, and, and sad to say were used to a lot of racism and injustice. But they were going to make this, this be known on the, the world stage. And they did pay prices for it. So you have Mr. Smith and Mr. Carlos who uh, Mr. Smith won. And what the big surprise was, was all of a sudden um, Peter Norman comes in second. Peter Norman was supposed to not even place. He was fast, very fast in Australia, but he wasn't expected to win. And in this race, he actually cut a minute, I'm sorry, a minute, a second off of his time. And at the very last 50 meters, sprinted in and got second place. So all of a sudden, he gets second place, excited about what he's accomplished, and now he all of a sudden is to be on the podium with these two. Well, the two already had planned what they were going to do. And they had already knew going up to the podium. But Peter Norman here had to decide at this point of what was he going to do. He simply could refuse 
and say, I don't want to be part of the, the, the civil unrest. I don't want to be a part of that. But he chose to. And he actually, what's interesting is Peter Norman actually told um, the other two that to uh, not to each wear, they were going to wear separate gloves. Like, and he said, no, wear one set of gloves so you show that you're in unity. So one's on the left and one's on the right. That was Peter's idea. And what Peter did was he went and see that they each have badges on their, on their chest. And those are um, for uh, basically human rights, civil liberties. And he asked someone else if he could have theirs. And he took theirs and he wore that. What the uh, Mr. Carlos and Mr. Smith did is beyond courageous for them to stand up on that, and, and on that platform in front of the world in such a time of civil unrest and, and show the horrific um, way of racism. But part of the story is what Mr. Norman did. He then went back to Australia and pretty much was hated. He went back to Australia and because he chose to stand up for human civil rights, because he chose to, in a time where racism is so, so rampant, still is, but so rampant that he chose to take a stand and he never relinquished on that. You read about his life and you start to see all the ways that his life was put into jeopardy. You start to see about all the unrest that happened. Now this is not making him uh, anything close to what Mr. Carlos, Mr. Smith went through. There, there's a story there for all. But even Mr. Carlos and Mr. Smith were amazed. And uh, Mr. Smith was quoted as saying something in the way of that, you know, while we were taking a beating back in America, you know, we had support, we had all this, that Peter Norman was basically him against his country. How dare a white guy go back and be in such support of. He lived his life, Mr. Norman did, died in 2006 of a heart attack. And through that time, he was never able to go back to the Olympics. And there's a lot of um, hurt that happened there with him not being able to go back, even though he was continually as fast as he was. It wasn't until 2012 that Australia, the country, actually offered an apology for how he was treated for how he was never honored or respected for his great work. And then Mr. Smith, Mr. Carlos in 2006, they were his pallbearers and carried his casket at his funeral because of the respect that they had for him. It's amazing what happens sometimes when we want to stand up and we want to do what is right. Mr. Norman ran as fast as he could. He didn't really have a, a, uh, a platform to say, to stand on, to, to, he just wanted to win the race. But when he was put in the situation that he was put in, 
he chose not to back down, to do what was good and to do what was right. He lived his entire life, and there's documentaries now that are out. A new one actually just came out this year about Peter Norman and about how he doesn't regret doing what he did. He doesn't regret being a part of such an amazing moment when racism was thrust and should have been and should still be thrust to the limelight like it was. But we see what it happens to us when we put ourselves in positions that people are going to be able to knock at us. We see what happens that sometimes we have to accept what it is that comes at us and what it is that is going to when we choose to step up in some shape or form. I'm admired by all three of these men and what they accomplished and the tone they set. Each of them had to go through their own adversities, each of that, but to me, Peter Norman's kind of in this place to where you never really think about who was the third guy. And the, the two of the, the, the uh, Mr. Carlos and Mr. Smith were, were quoted saying, he was just a white guy that showed up. And so all of a sudden, this, this man is, is, is responding like that. That's being a Christian, is having to stand up and do what is right, is having to stand up and, and make a decision that other people aren't going to like. And then having to live with that. Part of me today, the easy thing to tell you to do is, is to stand up. It's to say, don't worry if people don't like you. Most people are struggling to like themselves. It's, it's to tell you, hey, it's going to be okay. You stick to what you believe in. You do what you need to do. But, but, but let me tell you something I think else is Jesus had high authority and he could back up what he had to say. When you and I have to stand up and people are going to understand who we are and what we believe, we're going to have adversity. It's going to happen. But what I think we have to prepare ourselves for is are we ready to take that on? Have we done our homework? Do we understand the ramifications of what may or could happen with that? Several weeks ago, when we first started this, I had talked to you and I had made a commitment to myself and commitment to, to just, I think, being a minister in general, is that any topic that I looked at, I would always read both the conservative and the liberal side of it and all in between. And it made me a very bitter person for a couple of weeks because it's horrible. I mean, you read this and you just, you want to pull your hair out on both sides. And what I've found though, is, is now I'm starting to be in this place to where I want to talk about politics more. Not in church, never will. But I want to start to talk about issues and things like that more because I feel like I'm educated. I feel like that when I take a stand or when I say something, I have some meat behind it. And then I'm not just saying it because I read this article that agrees with my way and uh, this, and, and now I can step forward because I have all this firepower from this side, yet I have ignorance over here on this side. Jackie Robinson said it best when he said, I don't care if people like me or not. 
but I want people to respect me. I think there's something in that when each of us, again, with our children, with our spouses, with whoever it is in our lives, with, within groups, within our churches, our groups, our clubs, our works, whatever it is, we have to get to this idea, this point, to where there is something about the idea of being respected. And when we think of someone we respect, we think of them as somebody who has had wisdom, who has put in the hard work, who does what needs to, to do to do the good and the right thing. Even though that good and right thing may not be seen at the moment, at that time. But I think when we go into a situation and we have to step up and take a stand, and there's a good chance we're not going to be popular, we'd better do it in a way that we know what we're talking about. So my question to all of us today is, do we know what we're talking about? Are we prepared to be unpopular? Are we willing to do what needs to be done so that what we say and what we do can be respected? I mean, we're all going to fail. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to let emotions take over at times. But there's got to be something about us. You know, Jesus knew the scriptures, every bit of the scriptures. He didn't just come and, and talk about these new ideas of love and this, this, this. But he knew the scriptures, the Jewish people. He knew the customs and the traditions. He talked to everyone on every spectrum. He knew his people. He knew the, he had the book smarts and he had the heart and the wisdom. And he took those and he was able to be an amazing leader, an amazing Messiah to all. That is a lesson that all of us can jump onto. We need to watch what is it we are teaching youth. What are we teaching our children? Are we teaching them how to be the best conservative or liberal? Or are we teaching them how to be the best person? When we say what we say to people, are we coming at a place to where we have knowledge and wisdom to say it? And that is where I think all of us, and it's hard to do. It's really hard to do in a, in a place and in a time when we can be so easily swayed. Marketing companies are amazing at how they can sway us. Political advisors are amazing at how they can get messages out. But are we willing to take the time to do our homework? Are we willing to take the time to really want to know what truth, as close as we can get to it, really is. I challenge you today on that. Like always, I remind you how amazing, how awesome you are. I remind you of how many gifts and graces that you have. I remind you of how loved you are by people in your life. And how you have the ability to do things no one else can do. You have the ability to touch and reach people that no one else can. And if we do that in a way to where we learn how to respect people regardless of their differences, when we do this in a way that we're willing to take a stand knowing that there will be consequences to pay, simply said, Be nice.
but also let's be smart about it. To do what is good and what is right. And to stand up and to take the risk in a way that we know what could happen. But that we are ready for what may come the best that we can. Let us pray. Gracious and awesome and almighty God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that we have. And just allow us for a moment to pretend that we are indestructible. Allow us to take for a moment to know that we can do things that no one else can do. That we have a beauty within each of us. That each of us is so incredible. That we need to be out shining the light of kindness and of hope. That we need to be vessels that are serving you and serving these amazing people you have created all around us. Give us the courage, the desire. Give us the support we need that we may go out and spread justice and hope. Gracious God, thank you on this day for all that we are, for all that we have. And we ask this in your son, Jesus Christ, most amazing name. Amen. Amen.